0: Last week, we talked about scaling up to change the world. This week, we uncover the hard truth about systems. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple of
1: pivots into for-profit leadership later... We're on the search to get that question answered.
0: If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you.
1: We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa.
0: Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. We're really excited because today we are discussing... Systems and most importantly, the misconceptions about systems. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of different organizations have ideas of what systems are, have maybe built some systems, but we want to talk about how we view systems. It's a part of our flywheel Mm that we talk about, the legacy flywheel. But Lisa, systems. Systems. Let's chat.
1: We love this conversation, and sometimes when we work with organizations, they have no idea what systems are, what it means. Um, They're really coming in with nothing. Other times, we go into an organization and they say, I understand what systems are. I know that language. Um, And I think sometimes the word systems is thrown around in so many different contexts that it becomes really easy to think that you have a system in place when really what you might have in place is maybe a standard operating procedure or a certain program you're using or something else. Like There are many different ways in which the term system is used um, all across so many different aspects of culture. And every area has its own definition of what a system is. And depending on the context that you're speaking about it in, It can change the definition. And when we get the idea of what a system is and how to have a truly functioning system, when we don't understand the base idea behind it, we can end up with something that we feel like is a good system, but is really getting us broken results. Right, And so when we're talking to organizational leaders, we're always asking, not necessarily what system do you have in place, because they could tell us all their systems, but it might not really be a system. Um, But we're asking what are the results that you're seeing, and then trying to identify what systems are actually in place, because those are the things that are creating the results that they're
0: getting. Systems aren't always something that is intentionally created. In fact, I think more often than not systems are unintentionally created so the way that we define systems is look at the results you're getting now let's figure out what's causing that mm-hmm. that's a system mm-hmm. and we need to adjust that to make it so that the results you want are the results you're getting and that can range from a lot of uh, you know a lot of different stuff right it can be the automations that you're using it can be Uh, The ways that you go about doing things, it can be your communication structures or the ways that you're building culture. But oftentimes we find that people forget that they already have systems. Mm -hmm. Your organization has systems right now, and those systems are perfectly tuned to get you the results that you're currently getting.
1: Yeah, 100%. And for us, we didn't realize the importance of this uh, to the extent that when we finally learned it, um, we have been running volunteer teams for quite a while. We knew sometimes things work, sometimes they didn't. We, we had a pretty good handle, but a lot of it was going on a gut feeling on what our people needed. And gut feelings are valuable. You need to be in touch with who it is that you're leading and what's working and what isn't. Um, but we actually heard a talk by Andy Stanley, who really dove into the idea of systems. And it's so revolutionized our thinking and our mindset that it transformed us. It transformed the teams that we were volunteer or that we were leading as volunteers. And it also transformed the way that we set up our household, the way that we interact with our kids, the way that we approach life, um, basically everything that we do, we understand that there is a system behind it that's creating it. And sometimes it's really easy to look at systems as a surface level thing or as things get going, we'll build out a system to make it more efficient without realizing that the system is really the base that is creating everything that's coming out of it. All of your outcomes are coming from a system that you have in place. Every outcome that you are lacking that you want is coming from a system that you have in place. Um, And we have to identify what Those structures truly are and not what we think they are. Um, A great example within we have a church background. A great example is planning center. It's a fantastic software. Um, It works really well for scheduling and structure management in terms of like sermons and church services and all that. But we have to tell people all the time. This is not a system. This is a management tool, Um, but really understanding how to build the system around the tools that you're using is what's going to make those tools more effective. Um, But the reality is, is if you have a proper functioning system, you should be able to remove the tool and still have it getting the results that you need in some capacity.
0: Totally. I mean, it's also future-proofing your organization to build great systems because Mm -hmm. who knows if you know, the tool that you're using right now, planning center, goes down tomorrow, you don't want to be relying completely on that anyway. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to figure it out as you go. You know, in construction, if you are using a specific tool, and one day that tool breaks, you still want to figure out how to get stuff done, and -hmm. how to be able to make things happen or sometimes situations don't allow you to use certain tools i'm thinking about like um, a screwdriver right and like ah my screwdriver doesn't fit behind this thing <laughs> if i understand the way a screw works i can use other tools to to turn that screw i don't have to like i don't know change the way that the thing, the thing is built in mm-hmm. order to be able to get the screwdriver in there right so i think of systems a lot like automation in general, you know, some people think of automation tools as just being something that's going to make something more efficient. And while that's kind of true, the way that I think about systems is it's it, it goes beyond tools. It's automating everything from the people interactions to automating the way that culture is built to automating the way that uh, people are cared for and uh, built up inside of an organization. You want to build these automation structures in, but they're not. Um, But they're mushy because people are mushy.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that people in organizations, it's a mistake that they make, is to assume if I systemize this correctly, I can stop doing the interactions with the people. If the system worked well, the people would just show up and I wouldn't have to do whatever it might be, Um, when in reality, especially within a volunteer-run organization, or you're heavily, heavily relying on people um, who are volunteering, or maybe they're staff members, but you know that given that they're in your organization, that they're you know, not getting paid as well as they could somewhere else, or even if they are getting paid as well, and you recognize their talent and you want to keep them long term. The way that you systemize every aspect of what they're doing, including making sure that you're having those conversations with them, that you're connecting with them, that you're having those performance reviews, but not doing them in a way where it's dehumanizing people. Um, when you get those things in place, it really makes sure that things have the potential to grow for the long term. And I always refer to it as we want to be clock builders of an organization. Like we want to help get all the gears in place. We want to help make sure everything's functioning correctly. And when we step away, when we are done working with the leadership, um, the clock should run better than when we than when we initially got there. Um, but oftentimes, as leaders, it's easy to want to jump in and just say, "If I can do it." you know, I can do it better than someone else. Or it's a system as long as something is written out somewhere and someone may or may not be able to follow it. Um, And it's just, it's so crucial because I'm so sorry, but if you have a bad outcome right now, your system is creating it and you can't just tell people to change the outcome. You have to get in there and figure out which system is creating that and do the hard work of figuring it out.
0: Yeah, and that that really is the secret to building great systems is learning how to analyze current systems. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we talk with clients about system structures, we ask a few really important questions. One is, first of all, what is the result that you're wanting to see happen and what is happening instead? So uh, just a prime example. This is the one that like always came up in conversations was, you know, people aren't showing up to church service until late. They're always coming in 15 minutes late. And so what? That that's the problem. The mm-hmm. thing that we want to see is people showing up on time or even better early to build relationships and, and stuff like that. And this, this can span across lots of different organizations. People are showing up late to work or people are showing up late to volunteer opportunities or people are showing up late to the event that you're trying to run like a 5K or something. Mm-hmm. What system well, backing up. So that's the result that you want to create is people showing up on time or early. So what about the event is making people show up late? Mm-hmm. Because people don't just randomly show up late to stuff and people don't randomly show up early to stuff. There is something that's driving them to do that and doing the hard work of analyzing, asking tough questions. Like, is the first part of our church service just really bad and people are trying to skip it
1: is the first part of our event so disorganized we're frustrating the people who want to participate Mm -hmm. like is the first part of this being communicated in a way where it really doesn't matter Uh, one of the worst things that i've heard people say is people show up 15 minutes late so let's not actually start the thing until 15 minutes late
0: and add even less value in those first 15 minutes
1: yeah because then not only are you teaching people that they can be late but you're teaching people that they should be late
0: because there's <laughs> <Right>. nothing happening <laughs> right and so figuring that out like asking the that and, and a lot of times it's a big ego check to ask the questions that are going to actually get you the right answers when it comes to the systems that currently are in place because you are going to have to Uh, kill some sacred cows. You're going to have to actually, like, put to death some things that you thought were a really good idea, and they're actually really, really bad. And it's going to make you kind of take a step back and think, if I was a person coming in, why would I want to show up early? Why would I want to show up on time? Oh, I wouldn't. Because of this, 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 and this.
1: And if your answer is simply because, well, you should... That's (laughs)
0: that's not enough to get people to do stuff. Volunteers (laughs) don't do things because they should do them. They did do them for their own self interests. People are doing things for their own self interest Now it might be my self interest is to feel good about myself because I'm helping somebody else, Mm -hmm. but it's still a self interest. I think uh, Abraham Lincoln talked about talked about that. I I'm remembering this randomly from like school learning about him talking about the fact that there's even if you know. Pulling over to, to help somebody who's stuck on the side of the road isn't a selfless act. It is very much me wanting to feel good that I didn't pass the person. Mm-hmm. You're trying to avoid some sort of pain in yourself and also give yourself some sort of like value. And so bringing that back <clears throat> should is never going to motivate anybody to do something. Yeah, it might for a little bit. They might. But again, it's still going back to why should they? Are they doing this to avoid being yelled at by you or something like that? Well, if that's the case, then don't be surprised if they eventually jettison from the organization. Right. Because now they can avoid you all the time.
1: Yeah. If you're (laughs) using the language. I mean, that right there is a system. If part of your system, your communication system, is to nail down really hard on why people should and have stern conversations with people who are there as volunteers... Like, yes, we want to coach people and help people rise to their potential and, you know, learn those skills. But at the same time, if part of your system is a communication style that makes people feel bad about themselves or makes them operate out of guilt, your system then is also creating volunteers who aren't going to be around in 90 days.
0: Right. Um, they're going to they're gonna get tired of it and they'll be like, you know what, I'd rather watch Netflix. It's not really. I can go and do something that's going to make me feel good about myself. <laughs> somewhere else Mm -hmm. and I don't have to deal with the guilt or whatever.
1: Yeah. So, um, Ted, when, so we always start by kind of asking what they're looking for, trying to dig in and figure out what systems, what do you typically, like, how would you recommend that someone start once they identify the broken system? How do you start? Reshaping it because there are so many options. When you see something is broken, sometimes it's really easy to think that you're fixing it, but you're not quite really getting down to what the one thing is.
0: Well, a lot of it on the surface looks like trial and error because there is a certain amount of trying out things and seeing if it starts to give you the results. The big thing with that is you got to keep in mind that building systems takes time to see the results. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get overnight change. In a system, you have to actually give time for that system to really mature and and show you that it works. Um, it's taken your current systems a long time to show you that they're not working, and so you have to think about that about the positive systems that you're putting in place. But the first thing that I always look at is reward structures. So, what are you currently rewarding, and how are how are you rewarding that? Um, chances are the behaviors that you're seeing. People are doing that either because they're disciplined if they don't do it or they're rewarded if they do do it. And that Mm -hmm. that works for negative behaviors as well. Yep. I remember uh, a long time ago (laughs) leading band practices and musicians would show up late. This was a system that I had in place that I needed to change. And part of it was that when people showed up late. There was no repercussion. There was no problem. So they were being rewarded by being able to sleep in a little extra, take their time getting ready, make sure their hair was all nice. Uh, By the way, this was a guy who was fixing his hair most of the time. (laughs) But uh, he was being rewarded by getting that extra time. And then when you show up to rehearsal, there was no negative consequence. So I'm going to, like, if I'm going to be rewarded for showing up late, why not continue to reap those rewards? And so I had to figure out how do I, you know, in a volunteer setting, because just disciplining somebody (laughs) might just make them want to quit, too. So you have to figure out, you know, how what do I do to just make it sting just enough (laughs) that they want to change and alter, you know, wake up 15 minutes early, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and just change a little bit. So that way we can make that happen. And what I was able to do then was say, you know what, I'm not going to, like, pull them aside and reprimand them in front of everybody I'm just going to make a little tweak, and sometimes it's all it takes. I'm just going to start rehearsal without them, and they're going to show up late, and they're going to receive, you know, maybe mildly dirty looks from the other people who showed there up there on time or showed up early, and that worked wonders. I didn't ever, after really, even say like, "Hey, I need you to show up on time." They knew it. They knew it because other band members that they respected were like, "Hey." I'm glad you're finally here. You know, and I didn't have to be as a leader calling them out in front of everybody or anything like that. <laughs> did your microphone just like sink? So you sank the chair to match it. It? <laughs> it
1: definitely did. I was that's like, what you're doing. <laughs>
0: um, but that's a reward disciplinary structure, and you can figure out what that's going to look best like. <laughs> what's what that's going to look like best in your organization? But thinking through that because chances are you're rewarding something. You're rewarding a negative negative behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, by some roundabout means. And you got to think through, how can I reward the right behaviors? How can I reward people who, who show up early? Maybe I got a box of donuts waiting for them. And if you show up late and you don't get any donuts, well, you, maybe you shouldn't have showed up late. I don't <laughs> I don't even need to say that now because all they they just see an empty donut box. And that's enough for a lot of people. Enough, it's enough, enough for me. It's, it's, enough enough for me. See, <laughs>
1: it's enough to see it and feel a little bit of sadness. Um, but this goes into every area. It could be that volunteers are showing up late. It could be that they're showing up not knowing what the plan is. Um, It could be that you have a leader who's showing up who hasn't properly led someone else to be able to help them. And so now you have a leader who's running around super stressed out and is making all the other volunteers and all the other participants feel incredibly stressed. Like there is a system in place that's causing that leader to respond in a way that isn't creating the environment that you're looking to create for the other people that are coming in and learning about your organization. Mm -hmm. And for that person, the reward might be that they get to feel highly valued because suddenly everyone needs them and everyone's going to them. Um, And maybe there's not any sort of discipline thing, because for me, I would look at that and say, I don't want to feel that stress. I'm going to work myself out of it. But some people don't mind the stress. And so it's really identifying as individual people getting in there and figuring out what is this about the system that is making them feel reward or that is making them feel the discipline because discipline and rewards are different for each person. And if we try so hard to systemize it so it's a one-size-fits-all, there is a point where parts of the system do need to be one-size-fits-all. We always make these calls on these days. We always schedule lists at this time. We always start planning for this event this many months in advance. There are things that should be one-size-fits-all so that if you ever have to step out for a season or someone else has to step out for a season, your organization can continue to thrive. But there are other parts of it that we can't assume can be systemized – in the same exact way, because we're dealing with people. And when we take out the people aspect, eventually people feel like they're not cared for and that they're not personally needed, and that anyone could fill that void and that they aren't uniquely needed for who they are.
0: We talk about with the flywheel the importance of measurable impact, communicating to those you're trying to reach in a measurable, quantifiable way what your organization is achieving. And we say a lot of times, actually all the time, (laughs) that you need to figure out a way to measure it, especially if it's hard to measure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very true with systems, too. You need to figure out a way to systemize things, especially if they're hard to systemize. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times organizations will just systemize the low-hanging fruit, the things that are easier to systemize. Oh, we'll just open a spreadsheet for this meeting so we have Things written down. That's like that. That is a good system. Mm-hmm. That's such a surface level system, though. Like, right. like, how's the meeting actually functioning? You know, who's at the meeting? Are people showing up with good attitudes? Like, those are the real systems. Do that are they underlined. feel like
1: the meeting is a good valued bull use of time?
0: Yeah. Exactly. Or are they like, sitting there
1: going, "This could have been an email"?
0: Why am I here? Yeah. This is annoying. <laughs> We've all been in those meetings, uh, and so we want to figure out ways to make them useful. So you got to be able to dig in and ask the questions, but reward structures, like you said, they vary from person to person. So especially I'll bring this d- directly into a volunteerism situation. Actually, you know what? Let's let's shift from volunteerism because we've talked about that a ton. Mm-hmm. Let's say we're doing like a fundraising event mm-hmm. and the system that we're trying to fix is that people aren't donating to our organization mm-hmm. enough. Right? So we got to figure out how do we systemize through reward structures a better better giving? This is a tough one to systemize, and it's a, it's a big question, right? But we have to think through, okay, why aren't people giving?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What are they, you know, are, are they perceiving that it's not worth their money? Are they just, you know, because ultimately, whether they have a lot or whether they have a little, if they're not giving, it's due to the fact that they don't see that it's worth their money.
1: Yeah, it could also be that what you are putting out is making it so people on the outside are saying they have all the resources that they need. And I know another organization who could actually use my money and they're going to be more grateful for it.
0: Right. Or they, or you put out there that you, you need a lot and you don't have anything. Mm -hmm. And now the thought that's going through people's heads is like, well, I don't want to give to the losing team.
1: Mm -hmm. Or if I give to them and the goal isn't met, where's my money going to go?
0: So you have to, figure out with, especially when it comes to fundraising, like Lisa was saying, our reward structures need to, we need to think through who are the individuals that we're actually trying to reach with our systems. What are they going to value as, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of people who give, don't want to be recognized like that's not the thing that they're doing it for they're not doing it to be this person gave a hundred thousand dollars come up on stage let's all clap for you and whatever like a lot of times people especially who give want to do it in secret they want to have just that feeling of like i did it Mm -hmm. i helped and i did it without you know needing to be the center of attention Mm -hmm. and so obviously rewarding them by doing that is probably not a great idea but what can you do Just because you can't bring them up on stage and recognize them in front of everybody doesn't mean that you shouldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So we need to figure out what systems do we have in place for rewarding the people who give in a way that they're going to find extremely valuable and systems are, again, they're so much deeper than the surface level stuff. Just doing an event to raise funds is not addressing the systemic problem.
1: Yeah. And part of this is you might be thinking, well, we don't have people giving, therefore, why are we talking about having the rewards for the people who do, having reward structures in place? And a huge part of this is if you are talking to your team saying, we're running this fundraiser and we need people to give and you aren't communicating, people who give this amount, we're going to send them this this handwritten thank you that includes this picture of whatever, if you don't have those in place and you are not communicating them, what you are effectively communicating to your core team of people is that you are not anticipating the need to say thank you to anyone. You are communicating that there's nothing that's going to be happening on the back end of this. And so often with fundraisers and other events is so much focus and emphasis goes on getting to the event and then the event itself that nothing is placed on the aftermath, on the thank yous and the follow up conversations, which are way more important than what happens at the event itself. The way that you treat people afterwards is what determines whether or not they tell their friends and family about your organization So the reward structures that you have in place for people, what you communicate to the people who you're working with communicates whether or not you're actually expecting to need them. Um, The way that you're communicating that measurable impact and the reward structures, you have to be—you have to remember to be looking at all the different types of people, whether they're people who value fun, people who value recognition, people who just want to see the thing done so that they can know that something got accomplished. You need to be have all these people in mind and be thinking through, how can we set this up so that as they are giving, we are responding in the way that they need to be responded to? How are we giving them the options on what the reward could be? And when we begin to have those conversations, it changes our conversation within our team, which changes the conversation that we're having with other people. Because if I'm talking to someone and I know of an organization that wants um, some sort of donation and they say, you know what, we're really hoping for a thousand dollar donation and we've actually made up the special little thing for them. It's an image of the project that we're working on and we really want to be able to give it to someone. Like I might not be the person to give a $1,000, but I am way more likely to spread the word about it that they're asking for $1,000 donations. They're asking for large donations. They have a plan to honor this person. And so the very fact of having that in place builds up a system of communication prior to the event of what the outcome is going to be and that you're expecting it to succeed.
0: I, uh, I remember a specific example of... Addressing a system in the church where we worked and The system was that people weren't bringing as many visitors as we were hoping that they would bring Mm -hmm. and so we dove in and said what does our first timer? Experience look like because we can tell our people to bring people all day long But just telling them to do it is only going to create this like I should do it Mm -hmm. Which remember that doesn't motivate anybody? so We said, let's beef up our first timer experience so that way somebody who walks through the door and doesn't bring a visitor all of a sudden goes, oh, my gosh, if I would have brought a visitor today, they would have had this awesome experience. If we have that often enough and we keep that for a long period of time, we're going to see people start to want to bring visitors just so they get that VIP treatment, Mm -hmm. just so they get whatever that is. So be thinking through, you know, not just what that person is going to get, but also think through how that effect is going to ripple
1: mm-hmm.
0: throughout all of the other people that they're in touch with.
1: Yeah. In last week's episode, <clears throat> we talked to Katie from Thumbs Up 5K, and what I loved was they had their 5K and had a lot of people coming to it, but over time, they've actually developed different roles of like team captains where people can sign up to be a team leader, and then they can get people you know, to rally around them and they can get people to sign up too. And things like that communicate with people. Yes, you can absolutely be a part of this. You could
0: also. There's a track for more
1: up upgrade. Yeah. You could also do more in each step of the way. Maybe initially you're like, um, yeah, if you want to come and you can join. The next step would be for you to bring a friend. The next step would be for you to sponsor five things or whatever it might be. But having that track for the future, it tells people what they can expect if they choose to invest more within the organization and shows them what that future is. And just by having a plan is going to give you leverage to be able to actually create those long-term relationships in which people get more vested in in your organization. Um, And it's so funny that sometimes... Having the conversation, even though we don't have anyone in that role yet, just having a spot for them makes people who want that spot start to come out of the woodwork and start to think, oh, man, what if I could become that person? What if I could grow up my ability to bring more people in this organization help? What if I could grow up my ability to bring more resources into this organization? And we want to let people know that, yes, you're a volunteer. We have more space for you. And we have a system in place. So it's not scary. We're right. going to help you do this. We're going to help you succeed. We have a path. You weren't the first person to do it. And you're not having to do it alone. Um, and sometimes we forget about that because we think we don't need a system until a system is needed. Um, but chances are, you don't need the system because you haven't built it yet.
0: Right. And once your system is built, then you're going to start to see the fruit of what that creates. Um, The other thing that we look at is what's the leadership doing? Mm -hmm. Because if the leadership is not modeling what the system is supposed to be doing, that's not going to work either. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of organizations get this mostly right. Where it breaks down is that they don't have a good, clear understanding of what their system actually is that they're trying to do. And so they're not necessarily modeling. They're modeling something close to what they're looking for, but it's not Mm -hmm. quite right. And so be thinking through, you know, you as the leader of an organization, the key leaders that you have in the organization, how can you motivate them to really be uh, pushing this system forward and doing it and modeling it for everybody else? Because people want to be part of the in crowd. When they see the leadership doing something, they naturally are going to gravitate to wanting to do that just because... That's what the cool kids are doing.
1: Right. And too, okay. it's hard if you have a leader who's leading from the middle, um, trying to push a new thing, like trying to be like, hey, we're going to start this new initiative. And the leader of the organization doesn't seem to be on it. Um, it makes people uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. so whenever we're working with leaders... Um, I mean, we pretty much only work with leaders. But but when we work with leaders, we're always looking, are they fully on board? Because we could work with someone within the organization, but if we don't have that leadership buy-in... Um, there's going to cause some conflict and some tension within the organization. So we don't want to do that. Um, But also as a leader, let's say you're a leader who has a few key volunteers or you have staff under you, um, you can try and create the best system that you know how to. But ultimately, you have to be in good enough communication with your staff members that they can give you feedback about what the system actually is, not what it looks like it is. And then what's actually working, not what seems like it's working. Yep. Because the more removed you get from the system, the easier it is to assume, oh, I see the outcome that I like. It must be this one thing that's creating the outcome. And sometimes as leaders, we get it wrong. And so having that input to be able to talk to the staff member, to be able to talk to your key leaders, making sure that they're in communication with the volunteers so that you really have a read on what it is before you go in and start making changes. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen organizations from the outside where a leader will start making changes and it dismantles the parts of the system that were working <laughs> in their efforts to fix the part that and was it's broken. It's so sad. It's so sad. We've seen it from the outside where we just watch and we're like, we can see it crumbling and you don't see it yet, but you'll see it in six to nine months. And that's really, really hard to watch.
0: Right. Like I think of the leadership chair as being, you know, a mile in the sky. You can see so far but you also can't see the detail Mm -hmm. down in the bottom. And if you make decisions at the leadership level without getting the detail and actually figuring out the real lay of the land from boots on the ground, um, life has a way of knocking you down Mm -hmm. so you can get that detail. (laughs) Like life has a way of knocking your leadership chair down a few hundred feet so that way you can actually start to see the detail and get things right. Um, And it's so hard because at, at from seeing the big lay of the land you do get to see more and you can kind of see where you're going better but really you're you're probably going to miss some stuff and it's okay to admit that as a leader and ask people who are further down the hierarchical ladder all the way down to your volunteers all the way down to the people who uh, are just watching from the outside they don't have any skin of the game you know you just like ask somebody like if you're in a church in a random town and you just say, like, hey, can I ask you some questions about this church? What do you think? They don't go to the church? Nothing. They have no skin in the game. That's a really good way to get a read on what's happening and what the mm-hmm. word is out about that church. Or, you know, asking a volunteer, what's the most frustrating thing about your volunteer role? And you're not going to hurt my feelings. Just go ahead and say anything. It could even be like, you smell bad every time you walk past me. You know, like, <laughs> and just doing that is going to give you such a better idea of what your systems are are currently building
1: mm-hmm. because
0: the things that are frustrating for your volunteers are probably a big reason why your volunteer base isn't growing. Yeah. The things that you're uh, are frustrating about the the key givers, uh, you know, the the frustrating for the key givers in the church are probably a reason why Other people aren't giving, Mm -hmm. not just a church, any organization.
1: Yeah, I will add to that. When you talk to people who are your key people, volunteers, um, people who are financial donors, or whoever else you might be talking to, um, remember that just because someone is feeling that way doesn't inherently make their why right. Um, I've talked to volunteers before, and Pulled a few different volunteers, and they all had a same general frustration, but they all pointed to a different why. That a different frustration, reason why
0: the frustration yeah. was there.
1: They're like, "I'm frustrated about this, and I think it's because of X, Y, and Z." And so, I had to recognize what they were feeling. I had to pull that apart and say, "Okay, all these volunteers are feeling frustration, and it's all generally in this one area." But the next step that they took is because of this, I had to pull out what about it is making them personally frustrated, and what about it is the system itself. So they might say, I'm really frustrated because I don't get scheduled until a week out and I need more notice. It's like, okay, so that is a communication issue, it's a timing issue, but maybe they're not getting scheduled more than a week out because they're not responding to text. or email or phone calls or something, you know, so like diving in a little bit and not just assuming that their answer is the truth, but assuming that their answer is a data point, a data point point, yep, and that they're having a nuanced experience and being able to gather as many data points as you can and figure out what really is going on and what the common thread is.
0: And that's that's where you need to be in the leadership chair, mm-hmm. seeing seeing the full lay of the land, because you can't just get one tiny little detail and assume that that's the truth for everything. Mm-hmm. But you also can't look from a million miles away and assume you see all the details. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, we want to challenge all of our listeners today to think through your organization and write out a few of the things that you want to see happening that are not and and In fact, maybe you're even seeing the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. What are you wanting to see when it comes to your fundraising goals? What are you wanting to see as far as volunteerism or attendance at your events or any of those things or or the outcomes of like what you're trying to actually accomplish in the world? What are you trying to do and what is happening instead of that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we're going to challenge you to look through your reward structures and your leadership example and your communication styles to figure out what is causing me to get this result rather than the other one. And that's the first step toward actually building awesome systems. And as always, we'd love to hear from you guys. So if you have thoughts that you just want to share with somebody, have a little extra accountability, send us an email at office at legacybuildersintl.com. We'd love to hear from you.